I would hope that wherever they are, that they understand that there is incredible purpose behind everything that's going on in their lives. For the longest time, you know, when I was financially broke, we were going through marital struggles. I mean, there seemed to be no light at the end of the tunnel. And there are still many struggles today. But as I look back with new perspective, it really shows me that there's been a story being told all along. And so I would hope that people would really look at their own life with that level of reflection and hold on to the hope and the truth that everything is moving them in a direction. It's just a matter of their perspective with which they process those thoughts. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Our special co-host today is Josh Rivers from CreativeStudioAcademy.com. Hey, Josh. How you doing, Jared? Man, I'm excited because today our guest is Matt Ham. Matt Ham is a husband, father of three boys, speaker. He's a Bowtie Friday spokesman. He's also the author of the new book, Redefine Rich, A New Perspective for an Enriched Life. We're going to talk about that today. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So, Matt, there's going to be some people that don't know a lot about you. We want to give you a chance to kind of share a little bit about that. But before we do that, everybody on the show has to answer this question. What is the best concert that you have ever been to? Oh, by far. It was the very first concert I ever attended, and it was MC Hammer. And (laughs) guess who opened for him? TLC and Boys to Men. Nice. Trifecta. I had on the big hammer pants, too. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, and yeah. I was doing the little sideways shuffle out back. We were making it happen. I think I was like 10. As you should be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I used to listen to him all the time. So good stuff. You don't still? Right. Well, uh, not as much. And shame on me. I'm going to fix that today. I'm going to introduce my three-year-old to, uh, what's a good song? I guess we'll, we'll start with Pray. We'll ease her in with Pray. Yes. Just to today. make it today. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Good deal. All right. So, Matt, for some of those people that don't know, you know, don't know much about you, they should. But uh, today we're going to give them that opportunity to get to know you better. So, Matt, if you'd be willing just to share just real quickly a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so I am father of three, like you said, live in Wilmington, North Carolina, down here by the coast. And that is hometown for me. I have an insurance agency here in Wilmington with North Carolina Farm Bureau, but have always had this passion or this longing to speak. And I never knew what that meant or what that looked like until about 18 months ago. And uh, just in prayer and just, you know, kind of pouring into what I felt that looked like, a good friend of mine, a mentor, actually encouraged me to start writing. And man, ever since that happened, uh, it's just been kind of a transformation for me, uncovering some things that were really always there and I believe are kind of ready to come to the surface. And so one of the things that I try to do is bring perspective to folks because, you know, listen, I think there's a lot of folks out there with answers and I don't suppose to be one of them. I just try to bring perspective to things that I've learned, what I'm learning from other people. And what I'm finding is that is really opening doors for folks to uncover a deeper meaning of what it means to be rich and, like you said, kind of enrich their own lives. So well, we'll talk more about where that came from. But, yeah, that's kind of what I do. And it's really exciting with the book launch coming up. And I've got a podcast as well. And it's just been an awesome journey to really collaborate with some really incredible folks and learn a lot along the way. So, Matt, I was uh, getting started here. Why do you believe journaling is so powerful? Well, you know, the reason why is because it has been for me. You know, I think a lot of times you learn, you can only learn, I should say, by doing. I really wish that I was diligent enough to learn what other people would, you know, kind of encourage you with. And sometimes you just have to get in there and do it yourself. And I've been being taught by 
pastors and friends for many years to journal, but I never saw the power of it until about a year and a half ago. And I think journaling more than anything forces clarity because too often our world is so busy. You know, I mean, you guys are aware of this. Every time you turn on the TV or your phone, your kids, or, I mean, there's all kinds of demands that are constantly drawing your affections. And so often we don't take the time to process through and clarify the thoughts that we think. And so for me, journaling is just uh, simply a way for me to filter through all of the noise and let it rest through the truth and filter out to the bottom. And, and what you get is kind of a purified version of really what I feel like you know I'm learning. And that has been just a, a really encouraging thing for me. So that's why I'm big on journaling and writing in general. And I know some folks you know kind of fear that or they're not you know thinking I'm not a writer. But whatever it is, whether it's like a video recording, like call, recording yourself while you drive as you think thoughts, I think that the key is really just being intentional about thinking your thoughts. Wow. So for someone who's not currently journaling, what are one or two ways they could potentially start that? Man, the best thing I think is one of the first things that I asked the same question, Jerry, that's a great question. When I went to my mentor who had authored 20 books and he's a speaker nationally, and he said, imagine you start writing. I said, what in the world would I write about, Tom? I have no idea. And he said, just grab a pen. It'll come to you. And I said, well, can you help me start? And he said, do this. He said, ask questions. And I said, oh, man, that was so key because Andy Andrews, one of my favorite authors and, you know, just a phenomenal speaker. Andy says the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions in it. And so in order to live in a great way, in order to live an enriched life, you have to ask questions that push you in that way. You know, and I think if you begin by asking yourself great questions in your journal, you know, write that out, write a great question out. It's going to force clarity to kind of inspire great action. All right. So let's talk about the hospital. <laughs> what does a hospital mean to you, man? I know that's a harsh segue, but let's talk about the hospital. Yeah. So really and truly, when I first started writing, Jared, I didn't know where I was going with this. And I really wrote a question down that just kind of forced clarity. And I said, God, what are you doing here? You know, kind of what are you up to in this? And the second day I wrote, a story came back to me from seven years prior. Okay. And the way it feels, guys, it's like it's been hiding inside, you know, kind of waiting to come out, waiting for me to sift through all the noise and all the bad decisions and experiences that I've had. And as I sifted through that, I started writing. And my aunt, who was very, very close with me, I love my Aunt Trish. We lived in the same hometown, big Southern family, got together a lot, spent a lot of time, you know, just not only on holidays, but just during regular life. And she was a Disney type person. What I mean by that is you got what's y'all's favorite Disney movie? Well, probably Beauty and the Beast right Beauty now. Beauty and the Beast. That's what my daughter's watching. That, there you go. <laughs> so in Beauty and the Beast, there's this anticipation that, you know, Beauty is never going to fall in love with the Beast. And the last rose petal falls and we all have this despair. But in classic Disney fashion, you know, the story changes on a hinge at the very last minute. And it's kind of like victory snatched from the jaws of defeat. Beauty falls in love with the Beast and, you know, the whole magical ending. And everybody's like, Disney, you know, we love Disney. And mm -hmm. that's when my aunt lived her life. And so when she was diagnosed with cancer at age 48, we knew that she was going to have a Disney ending. And for about a year, we just, that's what we thought. This is going to be a Disney story. She's going to overcome cancer and that's the way it's going to be. And so we were blind to the reality that, you know, truthfully, she was dying. 
And it was early 2007 when I went to her hospital room because I got a call from my uncle. And oddly enough, there's 20 or 30 people in the lobby. And I find my way into her hospital room and there she is on the bed. And we have just an intimate conversation. I, you know, I always say that you never know what to say to someone who's dying. So I didn't say a whole lot. She didn't say a whole lot. We just sat there and we were you know, with each other. And in that moment, guys, a nurse steps into the room and she props my aunt up with a pillow. And as she did, my aunt kind of grabbed this big breath of air. And as she exhaled, she looked at that nurse and said, you make my life easy. And without hesitation, this nurse looked back at my aunt and said, you make my life rich. Mm. And as I'm writing that, reflecting from seven years ago, it was like I was in the room again, witnessing that moment with purpose and perspective that I had never realized before. And from that point, I wrote down one of the greatest questions I've ever asked myself. And I said, what does it mean to be rich? And I started looking back to my journal and through experiences that I had lived and kind of my own failures. And I saw a theme there that richness was something that I aspired to and that I chased. But quite frankly, the definition that I was seeking is nothing what that nurse was saying to my aunt. And so I just started a journey of asking people, what does it mean to you to be rich? And that's really where this whole process of Redefine Rich began. And it's just been an amazing journey. And it's funny, uh, you mentioned the hospital, Jared. This week, our three-year-old, we have identical twins that are two getting ready to be three. And they were premature and they have breathing issues. And they actually, one of them had to be admitted to the hospital this week. And I was back in the hospital where my aunt was. And every time I go back there, it's just kind of this remembering of what went on and the fondness that it brings because of the journey that's transpired since then. So really fresh on my mind right now. What can we learn from Bedford Falls? Oh, Bedford Falls. George Bailey. You guys, you got to tell me that you love It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the funny thing about that is I had not watched It's a Wonderful Life until I was in my 20s. Well out of college, I was probably 25. And really what sparked it is a really good friend of mine gave me a book. I was a little bit younger than that. I was probably 20. I just got out of college. And this is when I was kind of embarking on my own journey, if you will. A friend gave me a book for graduation, for college graduation. And inside, he wrote Clarence's words to George at the end of the movie, No Man is a Failure Who Has Friends. And I was like, what? Is, he's like, this is from It's a Wonderful Life. I was like, I've never seen that. <laughs> he was like, you're crazy. Go watch it, you know, like right now. And so as soon as I watched It's Wonderful Life for the first time, I just fell in love with it. And George Bailey personifies, in my mind, pretty much every man. He has these dreams and these ambitions of this life that he's going to live as a young man. And that life consists of traveling the world and, you know, making lots of money. And he has these hopes and these dreams. And I don't know if you guys have been there or not. I, I know I have. And so that's really, for me, when I graduated from college, I had this change the world mentality. And I thought in order to change the world, I'd have to become rich. And so very much, I was much like George Bailey. And what I found is much like George Bailey, life oftentimes hands you circumstances that are not necessarily in your plan. And you live those out as best you can. And in difficult times, you look up and you say, what's the point in all of this anyway? And George Bailey, of course, is given a great gift to be able to go back in a time and to see what his life would be like if he never lived. And he sees that horrible picture. He sees that the impact that he's had on his little world is amazing. And that ripple effect, or as Andy Andrews says, that butterfly effect that he's had on the lives of people is just amazing. And when he comes back from that, he has this renewed passion and this renewed hope. And he runs into his home. And even though he's in financial trouble, friends of his pour into his house to kind of bring him the finances that he needs in order to settle this debt. And, you know, his brother steps in and, and he says these words, cheers to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. And so as I'm going back through 
you know, my own journey with my aunt and redefining rich. I hear those words last Christmas from, you know, said to George Bailey, and it was like a light bulb. It was like, this has all been a part of the story that I'm trying to tell you. And, and, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'll write it down. And so that's really where the Bedford Falls is what it teaches us about living richly. Wow, that's great. Matt, so how can the listeners recognize that they're broke or broken? This, Jared, is by far the most difficult thing I talk with people about because no one wants to admit fault or brokenness. And the funny thing is, is this actually came from my three-year-old son, Matthew, last year. He actually was playing on my legs at the end of the couch and he fell off and he broke his arm. And it was an awful moment as a dad because all of you guys have kids and, you know, we hate to see our kids hurt, don't we? Mm-hmm. And when my three-year-old hit the ground, there was this huge smack, and he let out a scream that he had never let out before. He just didn't stop crying. He's a pretty tough kid, but this didn't end. And we found out that his arm had been broken just above the elbow. And as I'm digesting through that, you know, this kind of thought hit my mind that said, you know, that brokenness is the only condition that allows for healing to occur. That if something wasn't broken, it can never be healed. And so, you know, in a financial sense, similarly, I had been broke at one point in time. I had made some really bad decisions, you know, just blown some money and ended up broke at like 25 and newly married. And it was this recognition that in order for, you know, in a financial sense, in order to aspire to wealth or riches, you know, you have to see I'm broke. You know, I'm certainly not rich. And the same goes in a personal sense. When you're seeking a a rich life, you have to understand that at your foundation, at, at the root, that there's something that is broken that needs fixing, that needs healing. And so the recognition of brokenness is actually the foundation with which we build upon in a personal sense, but also too in like a business in a corporate sense. You know, when I work with entrepreneurs, when I work with small business owners, you know, I ask them about, I start by asking, you know, what's broken within your business? What needs fixing? What needs the most attention? And it just comes back from this ancient wisdom of know thyself, self-reflection. You know, that's where a lot of great journeys begin. And I think where this one begins as well. Now, Matt, we know that it's important to invest in others. What does that mean to you? So you guys are walking through really the rich principles that have kind of grown out of this movement to redefine rich. And when I started asking people, what does it mean to be rich? I kept getting the same feedback over and over and over again. And and oftentimes it didn't have a whole lot to do with financial well-being or material possessions. And so when I was asking people, everyone had stories of adversity. That's where brokenness comes from. But everyone also had this idea that richness is not something that is enjoyed or even flourishes alone. Because in a financial sense, you know, you guys, we have to invest. If you're going to build wealth, the key tool to building wealth is compound interest. And so you have to invest in order to build wealth. And in a personal sense, you have to invest in order to experience richness. But the investment is not of your capital. It's of your time and energy and efforts. And so that's why we say invest in others. And that yields compound opportunity. And the opportunity is not only for the others that you are investing in, but also in your life as well. So the concept, I think a quote that we use is that that richness thrives in community, that, you know, richness is not something that's to be experienced alone. So that's kind of the idea is that at our root core, we are most satisfied when we are investing in someone else. Matt, it's likely that there's a lot of listeners right now who are navigating some challenging seasons. So how do you choose gratitude in the midst of a bad circumstance? Well, the key word, Jared, is choice. Too often when I'm talking with folks, gratitude seems to be a byproduct of circumstance. 
you know, if things are going well, you get the happy dance, you know, everybody's hit record. But when things are going not so great, when it's a difficult season, gratitude seems to be uh, very, very far from our minds. And so for me, when I was looking through this filter of richness and really processing, okay, what does it mean? I really encountered this theme of gratitude, regardless of circumstance. And so for me, the C in the rich was choose gratitude. And both of those words are impactful to me because A, gratitude must be chosen, and B, when you're choosing, you must choose gratitude. It's funny, I've got my pastor here in town is published author. He wrote a book called My One Word. I know you guys are familiar with the concept. It's kind of flourished since it was first released. But nonetheless, he's been challenging us to pick a word that we kind of use as a lens for our life every year for like the past seven years. And Last year, 2013, when I was actually writing the bulk of the book, my word was grateful because I recognized that as a small business owner, as a father, there was a lot of demands on my life. And too often I found myself being ungrateful. A lot of times you come home and you're tired and the kids need your attention and you're just like, gosh, if I could just have a breather, you know, I need some decompression time before I have to jump into these responsibilities. And what I learned is that gratitude was something that was essential for me to live in the fullness with which I was called. And so I chose the word grateful. And the way I spelled it was a little bit different was G-R-E-A-T-F-U-L-L, grateful. And the concept for me was that's how I spell grateful. Hey, it's <laughs> good. I, it works, man. It works. And I needed to do it that way. In fact, I showed my pastor, the author of the book, and he was like, wait a second, you just cheated. You didn't pick one word. You picked two. And I was like, hey, I'm being creative, okay? And he said, but the thing for me was that grateful, it was this idea that we can achieve greatness, but only when we understand this principle of gratitude. We can live fully when we understand gratitude. And so that is kind of the lens with which I saw gratitude. And that's why I believe it's so important. And one of the things that I found in the people that I've talked to is that gratitude can be chosen regardless of circumstance. I mean, I, you guys would be, and, and you guys, I think I've shared with you a kind of an advanced copy of the book. And some of the stories that I've run across blow my mind with people who are going through things that I can't even fathom. And yet they remain thankful. And that kind of hope is the kind of hope that really is a catalyst for change. And so I think gratitude, it has to be a heart thing for us to learn if we're really to live in the fullness with which we are called. Now, Matt, as you wrap up the four principles, sure. you combine humility and confidence, which are seemingly contradictory. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more and especially what it means to you? Yeah. So humble yourself with confidence has been the pivot marker for this message as it's continued to evolve. It was funny. I got challenged on it early on by a friend and, and colleague and a business coach. And he's like, I'm not sure I understand this. And it was really funny because it forced me to really dig into that principle. And the principles you say it, humble yourself with confidence. You know, the world tells us that you either have to be confident or you have to be humble. Pick one. You can't be both. And culturally, I love the quote by Muhammad Ali, and I use it in the book. Muhammad Ali said, it's hard to be humble when you're as good as I am. And I'm like, dude, that in a phrase speaks to exactly what we're told every time we turn on the TV. You look at any popular culture icon and confidence seems to be just oozing from, you know what I mean? Everything that they do. And the humble people tend to get stepped on, you know, and they're not even getting a shot. And so as I began to look, I said, you know, I don't think that we can choose one or the other and really be effective. 
Because if you choose one or the other, you're going to err on the side of self-focus. For example, if you are too selfish, self-focused when it comes to confidence, you all know what that looks like. And that is arrogance. arrogance, Absolutely. On the other side, it's interesting because so many people, they lack confidence and they try to be humble. And the air of humility is one of two things. It's actually interesting. I got this from C.S. Lewis as I was reading through some of his writings, but you can actually be proud of being humble. And let me explain that because for me, it took a little bit. How can you be proud of being humble? And you know, a lot of people was like, I'm the most humble person you have ever met. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and they're like, and it's funny because I mean, we see it on Facebook and we see it like the humble brag, you know, it's like, you know, there's a danger in being proud of our humility. And on the other side of that, there's people who just, they don't even speak up at all. And there's this meekness there. They don't feel like they matter. And so the self-reflection on either side of those principles is devastating, actually. And so what we teach and what I really am trying to learn myself as I embrace other people is humble yourself with confidence, is to walk the line between humility and confidence, understanding that confidently you have a fantastic and amazing story that can and will impact tons of people. But your story's not the only story. And it requires a sense of humility as you walk into that and kind of how you share that. And so that is the humble yourself with confidence. And one of the things that really taught me this very well, and it's really become part of this message in a really unique way, is as I was writing this part of the book and kind of looking for the cornerstone of how to wrap it together, to tie all this together, I actually was diagnosed myself with spreading malignant melanoma, which is skin cancer. And it's not like a precancerous kind of thing and not to overplay it, but it's like a tumor on your skin that is intent upon kind of diving in and spreading. It's a very aggressive form of skin cancer. And and actually the survival rate is really low if you don't catch it early enough. And when we caught it, And I got those words from my doctor. It was just the most humiliating thing that I've ever felt. But at the same time, when I was told that they got all of it, that I was cancer free, there was a lot of confidence that it spurred in me. It's like God was saying, I felt like God was saying, I'm not done with you yet. And so for me, I kind of use that lens as a way to digest this message, this R-I-C-H, and just really empower people. Whether or not we believe it yet, we're all born terminal. And we don't need to wait on a diagnosis to begin living that out. And as I look back at my aunt's life and I look at all of this, you know, my aunt in so many ways just embodied these principles, this rich message. And as I look back on that hospital room where this all began, you make my life rich. You know, that nurse had been impacted by my aunt, the way she lived, the way she carried herself because of her generosity, because of her gratitude, because of her confidence and humility. And all of this wrapped together in this perfect package that was shared with this nurse and that rippled through, you know, my life, the nurse's life. And now, gosh, countless other people. I mean, this message is just I'm so blown away at how many people's lives are being touched by it daily. And it's just so encouraging to me. And I just see, you know, this message continuing to evolve. And it's just really exciting to see people embrace these principles and this charge to, you know, redefine rich, to think about rich in a different context, a new perspective, and kind of go from there and live richly. So that's that's really kind of the culmination of those principles. Yeah. 
that. I agree. Our days are numbered. Mm. Everyone, I'm sure, understands and knows that. So that said, you know, we only have so much time. Sure. We want to make the most of that. So what is the legacy that you wish to leave? And then I'm also going to ask a double up on the yeah. question here. Uh, not only what legacy do you wish to leave, but for people who are listening saying, hey, I, I want a legacy. I right. want something. I want to have that enriched life. So what's your legacy and what do you want to share with people who want to have that enriched life as their legacy? You know, the legacy key for me is this idea. A lot of people would think that they could not leave a legacy. You know, it's like if you're not a wealthy philanthropist and you don't leave trust funds to universities and your children that you're not leaving a legacy. And for the longest time, it kind of feels that way. It felt like that to me. You know, and as you look at that, you couldn't see anything further from the truth when you really dig into it. And so for me, I look at the legacy as what kind of story is your life telling today? And what kind of story will be told you know, about you when you leave? And I had someone the other day who called me. We were going through kind of a coaching, whatever you want to call it. And she had a really close friend. It was actually a cousin that had died at age 35 from a brain tumor. And she was so distraught by this. And I think it really challenged her to question, you know, what would people say about me if I had been in those shoes? And that's a go back to the beginning. When we talk about guys asking yourself really big questions. That's a huge question to ask yourself. And quite frankly, I understand it can be a scary question. But what kind of, of legacy are you leaving by the life that you are living today? And I think about that. I think about my boys, my three boys, you know, and I think about what kind of stories are they going to tell about their dad when I'm long gone? And so I make it just intentional every single day about remembering that this is so much bigger than a day, that this is so much bigger than today, but today it can begin. Robert D. Smith says that we completely overestimate what we can do in the next five years, but we underestimate what we can do in the next five minutes. And I love that because it helps you focus on today, but understanding that it all leads to kind of a bigger picture. So for me, that's the way that I think about, you know, legacy and what kind of story is going to ripple from the life that you live. And what I really, you know, the greatest thing that I hope that people really draw out of Redefine Rich is this new perspective on the fact that their story and the life that they're living matters tremendously. And that's why when I wrote the book, I really sought out people and I call everyday people, you know, these aren't the folks that we see, you know, plastered across the New York Times bestsellers list, although I do reference some of their material. But the stories that really facilitate this message are people, you know, like Gary Weller, who was a high school football coach in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And Gary Weller was nearly killed in a car wreck. And after 35 days in a coma, he wakes up and he finds himself crippled for life. How is Gary going to respond? And what kind of legacy is going to leave despite the fact that he doesn't have full use of his legs or, you know, for the rest of his life? And there's a, another Sarah Fontenot who had a daughter named Peyton who was born with many, many, many challenges. And Sarah lost her daughter, Peyton, when she was seven years old. You know, how is Sarah's legacy and how is Peyton's legacy, even though she lived seven years, going to continue to ripple through lives for many generations? And I think the way we live our stories and the way we tell our stories, it empowers other people to live their own and, and it invites people into that message. And so that's as I look at it from a legacy standpoint, guys, that's really what I try to encourage people with. That's awesome. Now, as we start to wrap up, who is doing something that interests you? Who is doing something that interests me? That's a great question. I've got a lot of things on my radar. I had the privilege of spending some time with Andy Andrews' team a couple of weeks ago when I was in Nashville. And uh, I've been a huge fan of Andy Andrews for many, many years. And Andy and his team have really embraced the concept of parenting lately. 
Andy has two boys, and he's really making a charge to teach parenting and bring his wisdom and perspective from his years of being around incredible people to the table. And so seeing what those guys do behind the scenes and how generous they are and how you know intentional they are about putting out great content was really inspiring to me. And another, Jared, another friend of ours, kind of a mutual friend, Melissa Hawks. Melissa is on a journey right now called Mutiny of Dreamers, which I am privileged to participate in. But she's spending 40 days with 40 different people learning about people's dreams and how those dreams have inspired them and inspired others. And so I love seeing Melissa just out on the road kind of doing those things. And so that's really cool as well. Yeah, I absolutely love what Melissa's up to. So we'll give her a quick plug. Yeah, That's yeah. cool. All right. So what is the best place for the listeners to connect with you online and hopefully go ahead and get that copy of your new book, Redefine Rich? Sure. Yeah. So I don't know when this is actually going to go live, but the book release is slated for the first week in December. And kind of what we're challenging people is the holidays are always a reflective time of thankfulness and of generosity. You think about Thanksgiving, you think about Christmas. And Thanksgiving and generosity are two key elements of this message. And so, you know, I want the season to be very rich for people. And that's really why we're intentional about releasing the book during this time of year. But redefinerich.com is everything about the book. You can also link to you know my blog, website, and all of that, podcast and such at mattham.com, M-A-T-T-H-A-M.com. And both of those tie back and forth. So would love for people to go there. We've got, you know, the coolest thing about this, guys, is the conversations that are happening. We've created a Facebook group for people to go and really take part in. They can look on as, as kind of a bystander or they can just jump right in. And there's some awesome conversations happening there. So would love to connect with people and any way we can help them kind of walk their own journey to uncover richness is really what we're about. Definitely an awesome podcast that you have, Matt. Thanks, brother. Now, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Final thoughts. Let's see. My biggest encouragement to folks is I would hope that wherever they are, that they understand that there is incredible purpose behind everything that's going on in their lives. For the longest time, you know, when I was financially broke, we were going through marital struggles. I mean, there seemed to be no light at the end of the tunnel. And there are still many struggles today. But as I look back with new perspective, it really shows me that there's been a story being told all along. And so I would hope that people would really look at their own life with that level of reflection and hold on to the hope and the truth that everything is moving them in a direction. It's just a matter of their perspective with which they process those thoughts. That would be it, man. Parting thoughts there. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on here. And, and I will say this right here. I needed to hear this today. So this definitely resonates with me. I know it's going to resonate with the listeners. So best wishes to you, your family, and the Redefine Rich book launch. Jared, thanks so much, man. Thanks for what you're doing, too, with the podcast community, man, because you've empowered so many people to start telling stories in an awesome, awesome way. And that's what this whole thing is about. You know, it's not just about doing it for yourself. It's about inviting people along and empowering people to live their own story. And man, so thanks for that. That is such a keystone of this message. And that's what I love about what you're doing, man. So thanks for that. Definitely. And, hey, and Josh, thank you, too, for being an excellent co-host. Hey, hey Josh. Definitely a privilege. Yeah, brother. Thanks for the <laughs> invite, man. All right. Thanks again, guys. Have a great day. Life oftentimes hands you circumstances that are not necessarily in your plan, and you live those out as best you can. And in difficult times, you look up and you say, what's the point in all of this anyway? 